As we continue in our worship, would you turn with me in your Bibles or follow along on the screen as we read Luke 12, 22 through 35. Luke 12, 22 through 35. We did a short series on anger. I've heard from many of you who are talking about the anger journals that you're filling out and the things that it's revealing. And I'm very thankful. These are not tools that I've come up with. They're things that I've learned from studying wiser people than me. But I'm glad that it's helping you. And I hope that you will listen to the Holy Spirit, help you see the distortions about yourself, God, and others, so that you can begin to repent of sinful anger and the distortions within your anger, the evaluations and statements of judgment that you're making when you get angry, and, uh, and see more clearly uh, from the perspective that God wants to give you through his word. But I thought with all the uncertainty that we're facing, uh, the uncertainty even in our homes of whether or not we're going to have enough toilet paper or get some alone time away from the rest of our uh, families just to recoup mentally, um, or uncertainties about the economy, health, all the things that we're experiencing right now, I thought it'd be helpful to do a series on anxiety. And so we're going to head kind of the same direction. We're going to evaluate what does the Bible say about anxiety? Uh, how do we think about it? How does God speak into it? Uh, what are some of the distortions that come along? How can we evaluate our anxiety and see where those distortions have led us away from the Lord? And that becomes something that we can repent of. And then we can start dealing with the feelings of anxiety that we have in the presence of the Lord, in a relationship with God, and appeal to him for the comfort and the peace that we need in the midst of our uncertainties. And so if you'll follow along with me in Luke chapter 12, scripture says, Jesus speaking, as he said to his disciples, or and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do some, uh, as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with bunny bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now this is a great text. There's a parallel text in Matthew chapter 6. Two different settings in which Jesus gives a similar teaching. And I think that's important to realize that Jesus had some very um, 
ready sermons uh, that he would, in certain settings, re, you know, bring in the same thought, the same teaching into that moment when it applied. And so in Matthew 6 and Luke 12, different settings, but a very similar presentation. But what does Jesus mean by anxiety? Do we mean by anxiety worry? In several of the books I've read, anxiety and worry are typically equated. If I'm feeling anxious, I'm worrying. And the challenge with our, our uh, English translations is that the NIV translates this Greek word, worry, where the ESV translate this, this Greek word, the same word, anxiety. And so some of the authors equate the two. I'm going to separate them. I'm going to say that anxiety refers simply to the uncertainty that I feel in a given moment. Uh, the uncertainty that I feel when I go to the grocery store and I, I don't have my mask on, I don't have gloves on, or someone near me coughs and I feel this panic of anxiety. Uh, what if I just got the corona? right? Uh, it's, it's those moments of anxiety when I get a bill I wasn't expecting. I found out that hospitals have up to two years to bill you for all the expenses. And one of them took advantage of that on me a couple years ago. And it was two years after an event, almost two years, about 18, 19 months, and I got the bill. And it created anxiety because I hadn't been planning on that bill. Whatever the situation, those feelings of uncertainty are natural, in my opinion. They're normal, and that's, what I'm going to, that's how I'm going to use the word anxiety. I'm not going to use it in the, in the sense of what I do with that feeling of uncertainty, which could be worry. And so I'm going to reference anxiety as the feelings of uncertainty. And so for that, I think the lesson is that anxiety is a human experience for which God has compassion. Anxiety is a human experience for which God has compassion. And for the first thought, I want to I challenge our assumption that anxiety is sinful, that feelings of uncertainty are innately wrong. Um, I, I don't know about you, what you do during your quarantine time. Maybe you're binge-watching some Netflix things. Preachers often will go to YouTube and listen to other preachers. And I watched a faith healer, a, if you know, you can be rich if you just believe enough kind of preacher um, out of Texas. I watched him, you know, talking about the COVID virus and blowing the wind of God against it and saying it was destroyed. And I watched another sermon that got me to another one of his sermons where he was talking about how worry and anxiety is sin. The Christian should never feel anxious. And I thought, I, I disagree with you. That's not right. Um, I think feeling anxious is very normal for us. And so point number one in your outline is that anxiety is normal in an abnormal world. Anxiety is normal in an abnormal world. The feelings of uncertainty are very normal for us. And they're not sinful. Now, what we do with them can become very sinful. How we respond to those feelings of anxiety certainly can be fear and worry and all you know panic attack. We can we can go down that path, but the feeling itself of uncertainty is not sinful. Um, when Adam and Eve were created, 
they were put into a beautiful garden. It was, it was created by God, and they were told to cultivate it, to maintain its order. And as they had children to subdue the earth, to start with the garden, and as they had children and expanded to bring more and more order to the created chaos, uh, to the woods, cultivate the woods, make it beautiful, make parks, make fields for food, you know, expand this beautiful garden. Uh, they lived without fear. They lived without uncertainty. They knew where their next meal was going to come from. Uh, they were so secure, they didn't even realize that they were unclothed. I mean, there was a real sense of well-being for Adam and Eve. Uh, they did not have any, what we hear in the news today, existential threats. They were safe. In fact, so safe that at the, in the evening, in the cool of the night, we see God showing up to walk in the garden with them. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful life. I long for that kind of existence. But that's not what we have today. That is what God created us to enjoy and to experience. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, God cursed the creation. And now the earth would actually, the ground would actually resist the efforts of Adam and Eve for its cultivation. Um, it's going to bring up things. It's going to create things. It's going to, they're going to sow corn and they're going to get thistles. And the earth is fighting back against their attempt to bring order out of the chaos. Uh, now there are real threats to their existence, animals that could consume them or poison them. And, and these are things that when you look at the renewal that God's going to bring in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, um, you see that we're going to return to that. Um, passages in, in the prophets, like every man sitting under his fig tree, um, this is a man at ease with a, with a good food supply and not afraid of threats. There's no threats to his existence. Um, there's going to be feasting. There's going to be joy and singing. There's going to be peace and rest for our souls. And so we have to realize that the world we live in since the fall of mankind and God's subsequent curse is a place of vulnerability and threat. And this is not what we were created for. It is not normal. Because of the threats and the vulnerability we feel in the midst of those threats, anxiety is normal because the world is abnormal. Because the world is ab abnormal, our feelings of uncertainty are very normal. Being vulnerable with our limited abilities is ample grounds for anxiety. And I really appreciated an article by Ed Welch who just came right out and said it. Anxiety is not sin. Anxiety is normal for created beings living in a threatening world facing their own limitations and vulnerability. So I want to drive that home for you. I want you to realize these feelings of anxiety, of uncertainty that I'm having are normal. 
Now, we need to still listen to what they're saying. We need to think about what's creating that anxiety and and listen to how God would speak to that. And then we need to analyze how we respond to that anxiety and, and listen to how God would speak to that. But understand that life in this very abnormal world, in a world under the curse of God, with your limitations, with your weaknesses and your frailties, Anxiety is very normal, and I hope you will take that to heart. I hope that will be meaningful to you, to say, all right, I'm normal in an abnormal world. Number two, anxiety has companions. And by the way, I think in the text, Jesus recognizes that anxiety is normal, that uncertainty is normal. I think Proverbs recognizes that. Uh, But it talks about it from a controlled standpoint, how we respond to our anxiety. Uh, And that's why when in this text, when Jesus talks about worry, it's not the feelings of uncertainty, it's what we do with it that he is challenging in the text. Uh, The problem with anxiety is just like anger, anxiety never travels alone. It has companions. Um, It feels almost intuitive when we feel uncertain to start worrying. It feels almost intuitive when we feel uncertain to start processing and trying to figure out how we're gonna solve this problem. I don't have enough ability to solve this problem and so I've gotta go find more ability or I gotta find a way to, to solve this and to remove the threat to my family or to myself or to my own health or to my own sanity. So anxiety has companions. It never travels alone. Um, Anxiety comes with our own distortion. And again, this is the noetic effects of sin in our lives. We have those distorted glasses. And that distortion affects how we view situations that create anger in our lives. But it also affects how we respond to our own anxiety. Um, Our distorted view of ourselves, God, and others will often lead us down a path that is sinful. Those distortions have to deal with our own abilities. Sometimes people will have a feeling of uncertainty, and if they have a lot of money, or if they have a lot of power or influence, they will push off those feelings of anxiety and go solve the problem, and often solve the problem illegitimately. Uh, But the distortion about their own ability um, is is, uh, very real. The distortion about their ability to control things Uh, How can they grab control or have control or if they feel like they have control um, or strive for that control? This happens a lot with our children. Uh, There's a threat. Our children are being led down a path or experiencing temptations. And um, as parents, or they they heard something on TV that we don't want them to to say or do. And as parents, instead of teaching, we we feel anxious. Oh, no, my kid's going to say that word next time we're with grandma and grandpa. And so what do we do? We, we grab for control instead of discipling the child. Uh, it, it comes with threat assessments, distortions about the nature of the threat, how serious it is, especially if you've had a traumatic event in your life. When, anxi- when uncertainty comes up, your threat assessment is keen, it's quick, but it's probably too high. You know, you're going to a higher DEFCON level. We're at DEFCON 4 
when you should be down at one, or if it's reversed, forgive me, I don't know my DEFCONs, but uh, you get the point. Uh, if you've gone through a traumatic event, any anxiety, any uncertainty is probably gonna trigger higher levels of fear, higher levels where you're trying to grab control, where you're trying to manage the threat uh, very quickly. So distortions about the threat assessment or in this threat assessment, distortions about your own isolation, you know, Adam and Eve had God walking with them in the garden. God feels very distant to us now. Uh, for most people, God is, is when the scripture says the Lord is near, just one of the common refrains when it comes to anxiety in the scripture, um, it, it bounces off us. It doesn't comfort us. God is near. I don't see him. I don't hear him. I don't feel him. He doesn't touch me. Where, you know, where's God? So the idea that God is near cannot be uh, as comforting as it should be because we think we're alone in this world. Even though the Lord has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, um, and that he's a good shepherd, and I mean, all these promises from the scripture, uh, I'm thinking of Philippians chapter four, uh, but we don't feel it, and that's the distortion. But we have to realize that's a distortion, or our anxiety will, uh, will run amok. It will go full-fledged into our lives. And that's why worry, is such a natural, it just feels so natural to do. Um, I feel uncertain, I assess the threat, my assessment's wrong, or it might be somewhat accurate, but I have underplayed the presence of God, um, or I I've feel uncertain and so I, I'm gonna figure out how to grab control in this moment, and so I've gotta think and think and think and process until I can grab control. In your study questions, there's a great quote by Corey Tenboom, who talks about how worry about tomorrow only robs today of its energy. Um, and this is, this is what worry does. Worry isolates us from others. You can't be intimate with people and be worrying because you're, you're processing something. You're distracted. You can't be kingdom-minded when you're worrying because how could you think about others and what God is doing in the world when you're focused on this? Uh, you, you can't be making, you're not going to make investments in people's lives. Um, you're certainly not going to be a giver when you're worrying. You're not going to give your life away because, you, you know, you got to focus on you and your bandwidth is being used up. So worry is, is probably one of the most common, and the word here in this text is that word worry. It's the distraction that comes because we're focused on something else. Uh, I think Tim Lane in his book, Living Without Worry, um, focuses on some of the etymology, the history of our word worry and how it comes from a, an ancient word, not a Greek word, but a Latin word that means to be strangled. Um, and the idea is that, you know, something is choking the life out of you. Um, the word in the original, really in our text, really carries the idea of distraction, uh, of being focused on something and you can't see, you know, you can't see the forest because of the tree, uh, the thing that you're focused on. And that's going to be a real clue in how we deal with our anxiety or how we evaluate what we're doing with our anxiety as we move forward. But worry is probably the most common and certainly it's, it's the thing that the scripture, I think, addresses the most. And then there are other disorders that come along with that. Uh, panic attacks, uh, OCD, um, all kinds of, of things that are the result 
of anxiety kind of unleashed, uncontrolled in our lives. And some of this has strong physiological effects and, uh, and, and you, you might need help. And I want to say as your pastor, there is nothing wrong with getting help to deal with your anxiety so that you can process your anxiety. Uh, so please don't hesitate to go to someone who's trained, who's licensed and can help you get the medication or the, the care that you need. Uh, if your anxiety has, has gone down, you know, has, has kind of been unleashed and is rioting in the streets of your mind, uh, don't be afraid to get help so that you can have the relief from the symptoms so that you can focus and, and start growing in faith and see some of that abate. Maybe not all of it, but some of it. Number three, anxiety does deserve evaluation. And it's, it's both the uncertainty and our response to it. Uh, you need to evaluate certainly your responses to the uncertainty. How did you, what, what actions did you take? What thoughts did you have? How did you respond to, the, to that uncertainty in that moment? How are you responding today? Because a lot of times we are still processing, we are still analyzing uh, that uncertainty and trying to solve it in our minds and can't sleep at night. And now we're having panic attacks or we're having a series of uh, intestinal issues or emotional issues. And, and this is coming out of a feeling of uncertainty that has now been unleashed. And, uh, and it feels like what Proverbs says, a, a, a band of, of uh, thieves just rioting in the streets of our minds. So anxiety deserves evaluation, both our response, but also once we, we kind of deal with that response, we can start to focus on what does God actually say about the threat that I'm experiencing and the vulnerability that I feel. But uh, it's, it, it's not helpful when someone says I'm anxious or someone says I'm worried to say to them, just trust the Lord. <laughs> they need a lot more than that. And so I want to challenge you to be careful how you, how you uh, try and comfort people who are feeling very anxious. But anxiety deserves evaluation. We need to evaluate what's creating the anxiety. What is the situation, the vulnerability, or the threat that I'm feeling? And how does God speak into that? And then what are my responses to it, the thoughts, desires, and beliefs that I'm having? And so then number four, uh, to comfort you and to show you from the text that God speaks very tenderly uh, to anxious people. God speaks very tenderly uh, to, angry, uh, to anxious people. And you see this in the text. When Jesus is talking, he talks about the birds. He talks about the lilies. And, you know, which, which in, these are not cultivated flowers. These are the, the, uh, the flowers on the side of Israel that grow naturally. They're very rugged, but they're considered weeds. No, they're pretty weeds, but they're weeds. It's like when I grew up in Roswell, uh, there was honeysuckle growing in the backyard. And we used to take the flowers off and get the sweet honeysuckle uh, juice on our tongues. And then one day, my dad came out and just cut it all down. I said, Dad, that's my honeysuckle. He says, Tim, it's a weed. It's a, it's a vine. It's an insidious, uh, you know, invasive plant. We got to get rid of it. It's killing the garden. Okay. Um, th that's the kind of flower that God's talking about, that Jesus is talking about in the text. 
And how does he, what does he say? You're more valuable than the birds. And God takes great care of them. You're more valuable and more important to God than that grass, than those weed flowers that grow on the side of the road. And God has arrayed them in his glory. More glory than Solomon. So God cares for you. That's Jesus's message. And notice how God, how Jesus refers to God. He refers to him as our father. He refers to him over and over. Your father in heaven cares for you. And so Jesus is not chiding his disciples. Jesus is affirming to them that God cares for them as an antidote to the uncertainty that they feel and to confront how they've responded to uncertainty with worry. So God cares for you more than you can grasp. And then secondly, God has gifts for you greater than you can imagine. And this is caught up in that phrase at the end where he says, um, fear not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, this is what Paul says in Romans 8, 17, that we are heirs with Christ, that we are co-heirs with the Son of God himself, and that uh, anything that Jesus has earned and will receive from the Father is something that we will receive as well, because we are heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ. So God cares for us. God will take care of us and bless us. And we will inherit all our inheritance through Christ. Folks, you see how God is speaking tenderly to us. And I love the phrase that Jesus uses in this text when he says, Fear not, little flock. This is not a chiding preacher. This is a tender, a tender uh, uh, Messiah who is speaking to his people, calling them his little flock, and telling them not to be afraid. You know, even that phrase, um, oh, you of little faith, I think we, we interpret that, and I certainly have heard many preachers interpret that as a chiding statement. Oh, you of little faith. I think Jesus is being much more compassionate in that moment than he is chiding them. If anything, probably grieving or just kind of sighing that they don't believe, they don't see from his perspective. And I think that's a, that's a difference in how we receive the word of God. When we interpret our own ideas into the text, we miss the meaning of the text. So we are heirs with God, and this is how God speaks to his children who are uncertain, who are feeling vulnerable and threatened. Some applications. Are you aware of your anxiety? And I would ask, what symptoms do you have? Uh, maybe you, you, you have strong levels of anxiety. You're into post-traumatic stress disorder, or you have OCD, or acute anxiety disorder or some level like that where you're having panic attacks and really have a hard time functioning um, in daily life. 
Or maybe you're just a worry wart. Um, are you aware of your anxiety? Maybe some of your sleeplessness is because you're worrying, you're thinking about, you're that record player just keeps keeps running. Uh, it's like uh, it's like putting Netflix in your ears and you have it on autoplay so that the next episode just comes up and you burn through a season. Maybe your mind's like that. Um, are you aware of that anxiety and do you can you spot the symptoms uh, that you're experiencing? They might be more acute or they might be more um, hidden, but hopefully you can you can spot them. Maybe your impatience is linked to the bandwidth being used up on worry. Think about it. Secondly, where has your anxiety uh, turned into over-concern? And this is really what the word worry, this is another translation, another interpretation of the word worry in our text. It's not being concerned, but it's the over-concern. It's the distracted concern. It's concern that consumes our minds and our lives. So where has your anxiety turned into over-concern? Where has it consumed your thoughts? And I'd like you to actually take a moment and write that down. Uh, write down those, the things that you think about, the things that you are processing, that you are continually um, you know, running through your mind and trying to figure out what you're going to do about it or trying to, trying to find some hope somewhere in some kind of solution. Uh, how do you understand Jesus' words not to be anxious? Now, if you, if you understand the word in the text, Jesus is challenging the, the worrying, the response to the uncertainty, but he's not challenging the anxiousness. He's not challenging the uncertainty. So how do you understand those words? Um, is God angry at you for being anxious? Is God angry at you even for worrying? Or does he look on you with compassion? Folks, that's going to really affect how you engage your own anxiety. And so I would challenge you to hear the tender voice of God reaching out to you and, and desiring to help you grow in his grace so that your worry, your anxiety, does not consume your life. And I'd like you to start a journal. Man, journals are really helpful in tracking our thoughts and in understanding what we desire and what we believe. And so I would challenge you to start a journal Continue maybe with your anger journal and start another one. Just have a little booklet and write down the things that you're thinking about. Uh, allow a whole page or two uh, for one anxious thought because you're going to want to process that anxious, anxious thought as we go along. What's making me feel uncertain? How am I responding to it? Uh, what, what evidence and symptoms do I see in my own life from the anxiety, the uncertainty that I feel? And then to remind you that God has grace for his anxious children. And that's why I entitled this series, Grace for Anxiety. Because brothers and sisters, God loves his anxious children. And like a good father, he wants to come alongside you and assure you that he is near. God bless you.